Hey everyone, Misaligned is back this week. We're trying to do a few new things here, so we'll be trying out a new little section today. But before we really jump in, Megan, I know you had a news piece you really wanted to discuss, so why don't you let us all know what that is? Well, everybody's favorite queen, Beyonce, has announced that she is expecting twins with Jay-Z. If you haven't seen her pregnancy announcement photos, I would go check them out. They are a work of art. She is a stunning beauty. And the one of North, uh, wow, North, thinking of the wrong uh, uh, child <laughs> wrong star famous here, baby. my God. <laughs> wrong famous baby. The one of Blue Ivy kissing her belly is just so precious. My heart melted. And the fact that Beyonce is expecting twins and Blue's going to be a sister, I'm just, I'm ecstatic. I mean, 2017 isn't all that awful if Beyonce is having twins. And if everything goes well, should still be performing uh, at Coachella as the headliner this year. So that should be something to watch. Beyonce on stage, pregnant with twins, headlining Coachella. I'm here for this. See, I only saw one photo. I didn't realize there was a whole set of them. So clearly I have some more photos to go look at. I believe I saw the one where she's on her knees and she has like the veil on and everything. I think that's the one I saw on her Instagram specifically. And speaking of that, actually, that photo is the most liked photo on Instagram of all time. I had no idea. I don't even know how many likes it has. Do you know the exact number? I, I don't know. It's okay. probably a lot. I can pull it up. I have my phone in my hand. Um, it's probably somewhere in the millions, I want to say. Yeah. Naturally. It's got to be something <laughs> ridiculous. Because it's Beyonce, who has a higher following that are probably isn't as followed as like Taylor Swift or Selena Gomez. But let's see here. It has 9,971,704 likes. That that's a bit of a big number there. Yep, I think if it hits any more, it'll hit the billion mark. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> and I wonder if people just made Instagram accounts just to like that. That's also a possibility, because you know Beyonce probably just brings Instagram so many new users that they don't mind. <laughs> yeah, because it says here she has ninety three point nine million followers. I would say that's a lot. That is a lot. But I think with Beyonce, these things are expected. Tons of followers, tons of likes, you know, tons of video views when she does music videos. So, Oh, so true. I'm sure once she has the twins, it'll be an even bigger deal. Oh, my gosh. Twitter was abuzz with the news of her pregnancy. Someone said that she should name her twins Daba D and Daba Die in reference to the Eiffel 65 song, Blue. Which actually would kind of be funny, but I would not wish those names upon her twins. And the New York Post, I think it was the New York Post. It was either New York Post or the Daily News, one of the two tabloids up in New York City. Their cover actually featured that photo with the caption, Bamaculate Conception. (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully she does not take that person's advice and name her twins that, like you said, because I don't really understand the fascination with celebrities giving their children weird horrific names sometimes (laughs) you mean like how everyone is still confused about north and saint yes yes exactly 
There are some other ones that are pretty bad, too, though. <laughs> yeah, let's not even go into that, because I think Frank, uh, no, not Frank Zappa. He gave his kids weird names, but that's like, that's who he is. Like, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin have Moses and Apple. Yes. I, I still will never understand why they named their daughter Apple, but okay. And I believe Bruce Willis and Demi Moore have Rumor, Scout, and Tallulah. Yep, yep. There's some combination like that. So yep, they there's do. that. But we're going to move on to our main discussion today. We're going to talk about various Super Bowl halftime performances, but we are going to start with the one that just happened yesterday, which is why we are recording on a Monday instead of our usual Sunday, because Megan and I both wanted to watch the Super Bowl specifically the halftime performance, but I'm sure the game in general as well. And for anyone who somehow would not know this, come Thursday, the Patriots won. I'm not too thrilled. (laughs) I hate football. I honestly do. I was reveling in sad Tom Brady last night, and then the Patriots had to go and start winning, and I could not revel in sad Tom Brady anymore. Yeah, I because the Packers are in the NFC, if they aren't in the Super Bowl, I just go for the NFC team because I feel like that makes more sense than just going for the team that everyone else seems to want to win. And, you know, it's the same for me for basketball. Like if the Warriors and the Cavs are playing because the Warriors are the team in the West, I'm going to root for them. <laughs> it happens. But that's besides the point. So... Halftime performances this year, Lady Gaga performed, and it was just Lady Gaga. Oh my god, it was so good. Yes, I agree. She definitely really put on a big display, which she does at her regular concerts on tour and everything anyway, but because of the amount of people not only at the stadium, but also watching this event live, she really was able to take it to the next level and sort of get a statement out with re- without really having to make a statement, if that makes sense. It does. And what's interesting is there is a debate online about if she was pulling a political stunt or not. And I am on the camp that she pulled a very sly political stunt. I mean, she opened with Ode to America. Oh, speaking of America... We should probably talk about who opened for the Super Bowl. This is a big thing. Um, The women who played the Schuyler sisters on Hamilton originated the role. They actually got to perform America the Beautiful before the Super Bowl kicked off. And it was a much more enjoyable performance than Luke Bryan singing the national anthem because I don't like Luke Bryan. (laughs) But the Schuyler sisters all sang beautiful rendition of America the Beautiful. And when it came to the line about brotherhood, they added in and sisterhood. Right. So if that's not the kickoff to a slightly political, but in a subtle way, musical performance, then I don't know what is. Yeah. And, you know, with the halftime performance, though, I was reading that the scene where she's on top of the stadium had to be filmed earlier because of some drone regulation thing, which I don't really know. I didn't look into it that much, but either way, it still looked great. So, you know, and she was actually the most recent person to stand on the roof of a stadium for a Super Bowl halftime performance since Michael Jackson, I believe. Yeah, I would not know that statistic, but that sounds about right. That does sound about right. Um, Because I think he performed in 
what year did he perform it? I want to say it was 93. Definitely when we were just like wee little babies or toddlers. Yeah, I am really bad at keeping track of who performed when. Uh, let's see. It was 93. Okay. And it was at the it was at the Rose Bowl out here in Pasadena, which is odd, but all right. <laughs> hmm. Oh yeah. And he performed Jam, Billie Jean, Black or White, and he brought in a children's choir for We Are the World, and then the song Hear, Heal the World. Yeah. I think that, that made a statement, too. And after 1993, there was a deliberate effort to attract top performers for the halftime shows. He basically like kicked off the whole showmanship of what the halftime show should be. Like, in 94, Travis Tripp performed, and he had the most ridiculous leather and denim outfit with fringe and a mullet in true 90s fashion. Right. And a chrome-plated Stratocaster. <laughs> like, that's awesome. But we really didn't see a lot of the showmanship in the 90s until, well, the 2000s, actually, with ridiculous ones, because that was the era of pop. Like, in 2001, Aerosmith... Insync, Nelly, Mary J. Blige, and Britney all performed. Yeah, see, I believe Britney actually performed with Aerosmith, so that's yeah. So I have a question for you: Do you prefer when they get a ton of stars together, or do you like sort of what they did yesterday with Lady Gaga, where it was just her performing? Because personally, I think I tend to enjoy the ones more that are just a single artist, simply because. Obviously, you don't have to worry about how the artists will mesh together because, mm -hmm. like you were saying, you know, you have Aerosmith, but then you have NSYNC and Britney Spears. And to me, like, those don't really go together. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But then in 2004, you have Jessica Simpson, Janet Jackson, P. Diddy, Nelly, Kid Rock, and Justin Timberlake. And that's not even counting any of the marching bands or choirs or anything. And to True. me, that is another one that it's just a little bit too much, I guess, because you only have X amount of time for a halftime show, and they already extend halftime more during the Super Bowls to fit the show in. So it's like, okay, do we really need, like, a medley of eight different songs from a bunch of different people that might not flow very well. So what are your thoughts on sort of having a bunch of people from different genres versus having one solo artist or, you know, band or something like that? You know, it's interesting. I didn't actually get to watch the 2004 halftime show because I guess I forgot to do something and my mom was like, no, I'm not going to let you watch this halftime show. So that's your punishment for the night. You can watch the rest of the football game, but just not the halftime show. So I basically got to miss the whole boob gate fiasco where Justin <laughs> pulled off her Janet's top and out came her pierced boob. So that's a thing. Like in recent years, like in 2010, it was just the Who performing. And I had a few friends who were very confused as to why it was just one band. Some of them were like, we don't even listen to this band. Why are they here? Why are they still relevant? <laughs> And I'm just like, well, this is pretty cool. But then you look at 2011, and that was kind of like a weird, a weird year because it was the Black Eyed Peas, Usher, Slash from Guns N' Roses, and various Dallas-Fort Worth area high school drill teams and dancers. 
that one I couldn't understand as much as say the Britney in sync um Aerosmith spectacular because sometimes people like to see the mix of young and old but slash with a bunch of hip hop dance artists yeah that's very very out of place and the fact that he performed sweet child of mine with Fergie yeah yeah <laughs> it was just a mess but if you look at say 2012 where it was Cirque du Soleil, Nicki Minaj, Madonna, LMFAO, MIA, CeeLo Green, bunch of high school drum lines, and Andy Lewis, it could be interesting. Sometimes people will not expect great shows to come out of it, and I mean, that one was more memorable for the fashion than anything else, I think. And I believe that was the year that MIA flipped off a camera, and it made national attention, because people were like, oh my gosh, this woman just flipped off the camera on live television. I thought there was a rule against that. Right. So, yeah. But then if you go to 2013, we've got the two artists, Beyonce and Destiny's Child. Sometimes if you put just two groups together, even if the main artist is already in said group, it works much nicer. It's a lot smoother. Right. And it's not as much of, well, for lack of a better word, a clusterfuck. And let's be honest, it's still the Beyonce show. So, yes. <laughs> you know. I mean, look at uh, last year. My God. Last year, it was basically Beyonce stealing the show from Coldplay. And Bruno Mars. don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, I enjoyed that performance very much. And then I got to see Coldplay live in July, which solidified the fact that, yes, they do put on a very good live show. But when you put someone with such star power like Beyonce... Yeah, that overshadows everything. And I think it was actually good that this year they just stuck with one artist, even though there were rumors that Beyonce would appear again. In fact, when she broke into her rendition of Telephone, my first thoughts were, okay, when's Beyonce going to come out? That would be awesome. Right. But no, there was no Beyonce, which is fine. Like, if you look at even 2004, 15, if I'm thinking of this right, because I watched this in a sports bar of a hotel. That's Left Shark Year. Yes, Left Shark Year <laughs> with Katy Perry. Lenny Kravitz and Missy Elliott kind of got overshadowed by Katy Perry in that one. And then everyone got overshadowed by Left Shark. Yes, Left Shark is still the true star of every show. <laughs> and I, I think every year at the halftime show, there should be some ode to Left Shark because nothing is better. But I will say... With this year, it was interesting to see that she didn't perform Perfect Illusion. That is the song that was heavily billed in the commercials for the Super Bowl, like announcing Gaga with the halftime show, which you would think she would do one of her big singles from Joanne. Right. But she didn't at all. And I was so happy. She did a lot of her old favorites, the crowd pleasers, the ones that everyone and their mother and their grandparents know the words to. And the fact that she opened, too, with This Land Is Your Land, a classic folk song, that was basically a big F you to Trump and Pence, I think. So subtle hints of politics at play, breaking into these fantastic dance pop renditions of her classics. I mean, it, if you've been paying attention to the news, you've probably heard about the gay dance parties popping up across the country 
most notably in D.C., across the street from the Trump Hotel, and down the street from Mike Pence's house that he's been renting in D.C., there's been a lot of backlash. And you can tell that the community is angry. And so to make it this spectacular dance performance, complete with a lot of sparkles, which someone needs to tell me where I can get her awesome sparkly outfit, um, before I go into that tangent. But you could tell that was classic Gaga. And then when she broke into A Million Reasons, oh, I was ecstatic. She managed to fit in a slow song in between all of her dance hits. Right. And then, of course, my poor mother was like, what is this song? I've never heard this song before. Is it new? Like, when did she come out with this? And I said, she released an album last year. This was on it. And it made it onto my best songs of 2016. Yeah, I think a lot of people were like, oh, no, she did a Joanne song at first. But then I think, like you said, the way she sort of incorporated it in there, a lot of people didn't even really notice that it was a song from Joanne. Mm -hmm. Or they just thought it was a completely new one, which I'm here for. Like, please, Gaga, give us more music, more new music. She did announce a world tour for Joanne shortly after the Super Bowl, too. Right. And I think what's really important to talk about here which is funny because I went to a diner for lunch this afternoon and I heard two old guys and the waitress talking about the show last night. And they said, you know, it didn't really seem that political. It was actually pretty good. This woman can sing and dance live and she didn't lip sync, unlike some of the other performers. And that's an important quality to note. When someone can get up there and do those really awesome dance routines while singing live... That's huge. Like, she could have just taken the uh, Mariah Carey route and lip synced and just looked fabulous on stage. But she wanted to show how hardworking she is. And the fact that she pulls off these complicated dance routines with her amazing group of diverse dancers, which is another thing to talk about, is just the diversity was great. When you see someone perform live, that really does bring back the whole showmanship thing. They're not there just to put on a show. They're there to put their heart and soul into the show for the world to see and talk about. Yeah, definitely. And for someone like Lady Gaga, this wasn't even remotely close to being outside of her wheelhouse or anything. Because, you know, last year when Coldplay was playing, it's like, you know, they're a band, so they can't really do these big elaborate things like a solo artist can who has the dancing skills and everything to sort of just dive in with the dancers and make it this big production. And another thing I wanted to point out is, to me, I feel like they can make some of these halftime shows better if they would put artists together that have already done songs together. So like last year when they had Coldplay... I would have loved to see them do their songs with Rihanna and then maybe, you know, they each do a song or two of their own. And I think that is something that can sort of help make some of these halftime shows flow better if they want to get these multiple artists on there. And personally, I would love to see one that's Eminem and Rihanna because they have a couple of songs together that I really, really love and would love to see them do that live on sort of that kind of scale. But I don't know if that will ever happen. Just a thought out there. But what do you think about maybe having them try and go that route if they're going to get these different types of artists to perform together on stage? Well, 
thinking about it, last year, Beyonce and Coldplay had the chance to perform their song together. But did they? No, they didn't at all. Which is very interesting, because that's actually a really, really good song. Like, I still hear it on the radio here. Yeah, and I just use Rihanna as an example, because I think they have more than one song together, if I'm remembering this correctly. I don't think they do. I think they just have uh, Princess of China together. If that's... I think that's the one they have together. Um, I can hear the Beyonce and Coldplay song in my head right now. I just literally cannot think of the title. But it's interesting to note that they didn't do that together. Like, I'm looking at the set list, and it goes from Adventure of a Lifetime into Uptown Funk into Formation. They totally could have had, like, a nice segue from one of the songs into the Coldplay-Beyonce song. But then again, it also goes back to the, what are people going to be talking about the next morning? Are they going to be talking about this outrageous pairing, or are they going to be talking about just the effects Right, Because with solo artists, it is a lot easier to do the gimmicky things, like The Simpsons predicted a few years ago, where Gaga would sing at the Super Bowl, and she would come down Mission Impossible style on some wires. Now, she didn't have the Madonna-esque, um, or Katy Perry-esque, I should say, flaming bra type thing, but it was still pretty impressive and pretty sparkly. Like, she brought it back to the days when she would show up to award shows in an egg right she's just that unpredictable and i love it yeah and it is just princess of china so i must have been thinking of a different pairing there <laughs> yeah it's all good rihanna's done quite a few songs with quite a few people sometimes i get them confused <laughs> yeah well technically she did a song with taylor swift and calvin harris yes <laughs> but no one really talks about that and i guess it is important to note that uh taylor did do a performance in Houston the night before the Super Bowl. Anyone talk about that? I'm just seeing people talk more about how awesome Gaga was. Right, but obviously not everyone who was watching the Super Bowl was at that same Taylor Swift performance. So, you know, the Super Bowl sort of just on a completely different level when it comes to these types of performances. True. But I'm also still like I I took a brief Twitter hiatus from the weekend, too. So it's not like I really paid attention on, I guess, Saturday, was it when she performed? So I probably did miss some quality tweets from that. But I'm OK with that because her performance is still being overshadowed no matter what, which means one of these years she will probably end up playing the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they haven't had her on it already. I know. Would have been funny if it was the year that she, uh, Katy Perry played, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, Beyonce's obviously mm-hmm. been on it a couple times. Even Bruno Mars, he was also in the 2014 halftime performance with yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is another weird pairing. I don't even know what to say about this anymore. Because it was basically the Bruno Mars show and Anthony Kiedis and gang were just there to support him. Yeah. Because that performance of Give It Away was just really strange. Yeah, so I think they could definitely pick the... T- team ups a little better here and you know because like i said so many artists have already collaborated together before it's like okay just get one of those artists <laughs> to team up with whatever yeah. main artist you're choosing oh totally. to make your lives easier <laughs> i mean even going back through even through the 90s like in the early 2000s like bruce springs in 2009 
and everybody was excited about that. Because who doesn't love a good Bruce show? In 2008, it was just Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. Ah, but who could forget 2007, which still might be one of my favorite Super Bowl shows of all time. And that would be Prince with the Florida A&M University Marching 100 Band. Alrighty then. <laughs> no. Yeah. His performance at the halftime show was so good. And a lot of people were like, you know what? This Lady Gaga performance is definitely up there in terms of really good shows like Prince. And what's interesting is that he performed a medley of songs that were covers, too. Like, he opened his set with We Will Rock You. Um, He performed All Along the Watchtower, too, and ended it with Purple Rain. Right. And it's also interesting to see how many songs some of these artists get, too. Like, Prince, in 2007, had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven songs, whereas the year before, when it was the Rolling Stones, they just had three songs. Right. And they probably played longer pieces or the full songs for that because, you know, when we had Lady Gaga performing, obviously she didn't play the full song of all of these songs because it would have been like a 30-minute halftime show at least. (laughs) Yeah, 2004. I'm kind of glad I missed that one. That one was just straight up, well, garbage. Ugh. Oof, yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently Diddy performed a song called Diddy to the tune of Mickey. Yeesh. I don't even understand what that means. So, you know, he's just going to do his thing. <laughs> but I'm, I don't see my memory of watching some of these Super Bowl shows. Actually, like, remembered if I had seen the Shania Twain No Doubt and Sting performance. Because that one... Shania did two songs, Man, I Feel Like a Woman, Up, whereas No Doubt did um, Just a Girl, and then they performed with Sting to do Message in a Bottle. Yeah, see, the thing is, when I would go to some Super Bowl parties and whatnot, I wouldn't watch the halftime show, like, ever, because all the kids and all of the dads would go outside and play football in the street during halftime. So a lot of these I didn't even watch, and it wasn't probably until the last few where I would really sit down and actually watch them. See, that's interesting. Like, I know in my house, we definitely, we would never do these elaborate Super Bowl parties. Like, I think last night, it was my parents and I, with my boyfriend, kind of just sitting around getting fat, eating finger foods which is probably the most we've done for any Super Bowl. Like, in previous years, I've watched it from a hotel sports bar because I was working a huge fencing tournament that conveniently fell on Super Bowl weekend. (laughs) Let me tell you, watching the Super Bowl in a sports bar with a bunch of people you don't know, that is uh, quite an experience. And that is why I think the final year that it fell on the Super Bowl, we watched it in our home, far away from everyone. Yeah, see, we would have these, well, it wasn't my parents hosting them, but we would go over to someone's house and it would be like a full-on barbecue or even once in a while they had food catered in, I think. And yeah, it was kind of a big deal. (laughs) I believe it. And then, of course, you know, with this year's Super Bowl, I saw more SpongeBob memes be circulated about it all. 
and like Gaga coming in compared to SpongeBob dressed as a wizard on wires coming in. It's one of the more notable ones. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. But then again, I think the last time that there were so many memes made about a Super Bowl performance was Katy Perry's. Between all the left shark stuff, and then when she was shooting around on that rainbow, I think it was like a rainbow star thing, and people compared her to the more you know, which was actually once my Facebook cover photo, Katy Perry's the more you know. <laughs> but there were definitely more memes for this Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, see, I haven't seen any of them. But I also was very behind on Twitter, so I just went to the top of my feed instead of scrolling through everything. So that could be part of the reason why I didn't see any of them. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, that kind of sums up all of my thoughts on the various Super Bowl halftimes because a good chunk of them I wasn't even watching because I was busy outside playing football. (laughs) But was this when you were in California or in Pennsylvania? It was when I was here. So when I was in Philly, I believe my freshman year, Zach Zarillo and I went up to the top floor in my dorm building because they had a big screen TV. I mean, it was kind of older, so it wasn't a flat screen or anything nice, but he's a Giants fan and the Giants happened to be playing that year. So he was extremely excited. Meanwhile, I was sitting there and I really wanted Chick-fil-A, but it was Sunday, so they weren't open. (laughs) curse you chick-fil-a and then so delicious but you're never open on sundays (laughs) i know and then the other years i when i was living with zach off campus we didn't have cable so i don't even remember what i did for those ones i'm sure i streamed it okay or something because i still had my parents cable login so i'm sure if it was on fox or something i watched it live i have no idea (laughs) because also i've solely watched the super bowl on the east coast so by the time halftime comes on it's dark oh yeah this is true i didn't even think about that but yeah it was always like late afternoon for us here so then all the dads and the kids would go outside yeah and then the moms would stay inside (laughs) actually what's really bad is before like when we were kind of working things out for this episode i almost texted you with a hey you get to watch the Super Bowl live, right? Because it's not on a West Coast delay. And then I remembered that I was like, yes, they do watch the Super Bowl live on the West Coast. Stop being an idiot, Megan. <laughs> All sporting events are live. It's just the award shows that are not. <laughs> and that is my blonde moment for all of 2017. I'm sure of it. Which I don't really understand anyway, because some of the award shows, actually, a lot of the award shows are here. Like the Grammys are practically always in LA I believe because the Lakers never have games on Grammy Day (laughs) well next week are the Grammys I'm excited for that yeah awesome well we're going to move on to a segment we're going to try to get to a little more often and it's just we're going to talk about what we've been listening to lately whether it's new stuff or old stuff mine happens to be more so new stuff and Megan I know you have a little bit of some older stuff in here, but why don't you start me off with one of the albums you've been listening to lately? So I got an iTunes gift card for Christmas because, you know, I don't have Apple Music yet or at all. And <laughs> I have, I bought the Avett Brothers' True Sadness. Like that is an album that I did have on my best of 2016 list. And now that I own it, it's just a lot easier to play it. 
because it's on my phone. It's really just wonderful. And it having it reminds me of how much I actually did enjoy it in 2016 and just didn't listen to it as much as I should have. Right. So. Yeah. And for me, one of the albums I recently listened to was Remnants by Leanne Rimes. And I'm a little confused because on Metacritic, it said it came out this year. But then on Apple Music, it said it was a Sony UK release in 2016. And I'm like, why would it? why would a country album be released in the UK way earlier than it is here? That makes no sense. But I'm a little confused on when this album actually came out. But, you know, Leanne Rhymes sort of hasn't really had a lot of big hits with her last few albums. So it was sort of interesting to just go through and listen to this and see what her sound is like now, as opposed to a lot of her older singles, because I believe she was... 14 or 16 when blue came out and that was like her first huge hit but what else do you have on your list i also have the spotify ep of dashboard confessionals covered and taped or taped and covered one of those two it's got that (laughs) in the title but it's a four song ep that dashboard confessional recorded and it is entirely covers They cover the 1975 Sex, Justin Bieber's Love Yourself, Julian Baker's Sprained Ankle, which has also been covered by Brand New, and actually all three versions are fantastic, and they also covered Sorority Noises Using, which I find to be a very interesting rendition, because... I'm so used to hearing that song with the heavy progression of guitar change, or guitar changes, my God, Um, the heavy progression of changing (laughs) guitar chords and Cam screaming, but Chris manages to tone it down to this simple little acoustic riff. So it's weird to not hear the energetic changes, but it's still a good cover. And I really like the fact that it's a broad spectrum kind of of genres, because you wouldn't think that a band like Dashboard Confessional would seriously cover Justin Bieber or do an interesting rendition of the 1975 or even going for a song in the 1975's back catalog as opposed to something off of their newest album. Yeah, and I believe we didn't really get any sort of warning with this EP or anything. I don't think I saw any of the songs before it was just like, hey, here's an EP of cover songs. Yeah, I think they just dropped it. And I remember seeing Cam talking about it on Facebook about how awesome it was that Chris got to cover using and other people talking about Dashboard's cover of Sprained Ankle. Right. Yeah, I haven't listened to this yet, but it's kind of a timely release because we had just done our book episode on Nothing Feels Good, which heavily covers Dashboard Confessional. So this is something, obviously, it's only a handful of songs, so it won't take me that long to sit there and go through it. But I've sort of already been playing catch up on January releases, and one of those is... I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, but it looks like it is Puxico by Natalie Hempy. And this is an album that Craig Manning reviewed over at Chorus. So that's how I found out about it. And she's definitely more of a country artist. 
So I've sort of been looking for more country to listen to that isn't necessarily the mainstream stuff, because that I'm going to hear about regardless. And so I've sort of been going to Craig to ask him who I should be checking out that maybe isn't on my radar or on country radio in general right now. So this was definitely a solid album. Megan, I think you might even like it. She's not quite like Casey Musgraves, but it's definitely more on that sort of side rather than the mainstream pop country side. I'll have to give it a listen. Like I do enjoy Craig's recommendations a lot. Yeah. Um, He was actually my secret Santa for the Modern Vinyl Secret Santa this year. Nice, nice. And we had a nice discussion about Bright Eyes's I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning. Oh, cool. And that's the record I got in the mail from him, which was just like super awesome. It's my favorite Bright Eyes record. But he actually didn't know that there was a version of Lua that Connor Oberst had done with Jillian Welch. So it's fun to actually talk with other music writers about songs that they might not have actually like versions of songs that they haven't heard or even artists that you just haven't discovered yet right yeah and i mean like you said talking to craig you can always get good recommendations for him because he's like really in tune with the country folk americana scene and he actually is i think one of the only ones who covers that sort of music over at chorus I think he is too. And even with Modern Vinyl, some of his work, it's definitely veered towards stuff that Alan and I will listen to. Right. Yeah. So do you have any other albums or EPs you've been listening to? Not so much albums or EPs, but I have really been digging just a lot of Lucy Dacus lately. And of course, each time she's performed in Richmond, I have missed it. She's still actually kind of localish to this area, but she's blowing up because a few weeks ago, maybe it was, maybe it was November, which is still technically a few weeks ago. <laughs> anyway, she performed with the No BS Brass Band at the National in Richmond, and they're like a big deal in this area. They're really cool. My brother was kind of upset that they were playing, I guess, at Lamplighter on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. And he wanted coffee, and just there were so many people there just to watch them play that he had to go somewhere else. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she also performed in the Alley of Deep Groove Records in Richmond, which is where Julian Baker played back in September. And I was at that Julian show, and actually Lucy was there. Nice. So yeah, Lucy and Julian are friends. I think that's really awesome. But if you like Courtney Barnett, I think you'll really dig Lucy Dacus. Okay, cool. And my next album that I've been listening to is also my recommendation. And since I only have that as a recommendation, I'm going to go ahead and save that. But basically what we're trying to do with this little segment here is because Megan and I only record together every other week and one of our episodes is always going to be the book club episode at least for the foreseeable future here i sort of just want us to have at least one 
part of the podcast that will always focus solely on music. And because, like I said, we only record together every other week, two weeks of music listening should be plenty for us to sort of always have albums or artists to bring to the table. So, Megan, if you are down for that, we can continue this, see how it goes. (laughs) Oh, I'm totally down for this because we try to do our recommendations as music picks, But as you guys have probably heard in some episodes, we veered away from music and have talked about things on Netflix or things that we've read or podcasts we've listened to. So having a section that's focused solely on music, I think, will be a nice little mix up here. Yeah. So that does lead us into our recommendations for the week, which happen to both be music recommendations, thankfully. So, you know, we're kind of on a music roll here today. But Megan, what is your recommendation this week? In the wake of the inauguration of Donald Trump, I am really happy to see that the music community has banded together to put together some really awesome things. I mean, the 30 Days, 30 Songs out there, um, that group has put out the Thousand Days, Thousand Songs, as I've mentioned in a previous podcast. And there are other groups that have put together a bunch of band camp compilations. And the one that I'm actually recommending is called Don't Stop Now, a collection of covers. It's a $7 album on Bandcamp, and the proceeds are going to the ACLU. Last Friday, Bandcamp announced that basically all the proceeds from anything on Bandcamp were going to the ACLU on top of whatever the artists were also donating. Right. So that's really cool. But this compilation features some, it's a lot of artists from Philly. Yeah. Which I think rocks. Um, But for example, we've got Laura Stevenson covering Towns Van Zandt's Tower Song. Um, Allegra Anka from Cayetana does Back Against the Wall by Pup. Jeff Rosenstock does Jet Ski by Bikini Kill. Punk celebrity Chris Farron does a lovely rendition of Bamboo Bones by Against Me. And if you're familiar with Chris Farron's covers, he usually tends to blow them out of the water. Yeah. But this cover kind of had me in tears because it's just really, really lovely. And, oh, Augusta from Cayetana did Love, Love, Love by the Mountain Goats. And then... Let's see, where was my absolute... Oh, yes, The Menzingers, which is going to meld nicely into your recommendation. (laughs) But The Menzingers covered 24 Frames by Jason Isbell. That might be one of the most unique covers I've heard because Jason Isbell is more of a folk artist and The Menzingers are more punk. But their rendition is awesome, and that honestly is what solidified my decision to buy the CP or album, I guess, because it's... 36 songs yeah i would i would call that an album not an ep (laughs) yeah oh i'm sorry it's 37 songs so it's like probably five eps you know yeah go figure a lot (laughs) but yes like you said that rolls right into my recommendation which is after the party by the menzingers it's their new album it just came out on friday and i really think out of a lot of the punk bands that are around right now, the Menzingers are sort of the must-listen-to band for me as far as punk music goes. Obviously, you know, they're not 
on the most hardcore side of punk music, so to speak. You know, they're not going around breaking things. You know, this isn't the 70s and 80s type of punk music anymore. But they're still such a solid, well-oiled band for what they want to do. And I think, you know, with the few albums that they've released, this one sort of takes it to that next level because the guys aren't in their 20s anymore. So they're keeping it consistent and talking about the things that are actually happening in their lives. And I could go on more about this, but I wrote a review of it over on Hi-Fi Noise. So you guys can check that out if you want some more in-depth thoughts on it. But definitely check this out, especially if you're a punk music fan. So that wraps it up for today. Like I said, we'll sort of be tweaking things here and there. This is the main tweak we're going to do with the what we've been listening to section. Other than that, we're playing it by ear, just trying to get a feel for what new things we can try out. But like I said, we will still be doing our book club episode and our pick for that is On Bowie, which I blew through because it was such a short, easy, fun read. And Megan, I know you just ordered it recently. Yep. And I got the two-day shipping with my free trial of Prime. Nice. So it's here. And actually, if you are looking for a good deal on it, it is 13-something on Amazon. And that's for a hardcover. Which hard is a cover. lot better. Right. It's a really nice hardcover, actually. Yeah. But that price is a lot better for a hardcover than, say, like $20, $23. Right. So we will be covering that the next episode. I do have a guest episode coming in between that has not been recorded yet. So you guys will just have to wait and see who it is. (laughs) But as always, thank you guys for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.